0: Wow, he's the only one who can. What a great, beautiful song. Thanks for singing loud, Grace. Uh, we're in a series called Encounters with Jesus, and I hope you've enjoyed the series. I certainly have. I've had to study a lot trying to get in, inside the world of the people that had direct encounters with Jesus of Galilee. And <laughs> no one walks away the same. For better or for worse, you've got to make a decision when you have an encounter with Jesus. Today, I thought, you know, hey, let's stir it up a little bit. You're going to love it today. Today, Jesus has an encounter with politics. <laughs> yeah, I heard we're having an election this year. Let's get fired up for that. <clears throat> I want you to listen carefully because this, what to listen for right here is the context of what we're going to look at today is going to amplify the meaning. The context is going to help us Understand the truths that we're going to learn, that we're out, out to learn today, and so today, in the context of what we'll be hearing Jesus speak about, the immediate the immediate context is the last week of Jesus's ministry life here on planet Earth. The last week it starts with Palm Sunday, and it's called Palm Sunday because uh, the Jewish people are all waving palms at Jesus as he's riding this donkey, making a triumphal entry. And this triumphal entry is the the entry of the king, the Messiah, the promised one, and he's bringing about the kingdom of God. And that means bringing about peace and justice. The oppressed are, are finally heard. The bullies are dealt with. That's Sunday, Palm Sunday. The people involved, the people in power, both Jewish and Roman, are taking note. While the Jews celebrate, there's a threat to their power. And so, they'll be watching very closely. Tuesday. Tuesday, Jesus goes to the Temple Mount and does what's called the Temple Cleansing. And what that means is that Jesus goes to the Mount and he's looking out as... The people of Israel are doing what God has commanded them to do, the ritual sacrificial system, and some of the men in power have managed to figure out a way to gouge the people in their participation in these required sacrifices, and Jesus will have none of it. The bullies will be dealt with, and he literally turns over the tables and then chases these men out of of the temple. And this is a defining moment because this Jesus shows himself to be a real threat to the Jewish leaders. These are the people that have power and status and comfort, and that's being threatened. And there must have been a meeting on Tuesday night. There must have been some kind of meeting because a group of men come together like never before. There are, there are at least five various sects or or, I guess, ideologies in Judaism at this time. And they, they met because the, this is where the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Because these five sects, these groups of people, they only had two things in common. One, they hated each other. And two, they hate, hate, hate Jesus of Galilee. Because he is a threat to their power, and their status, and their comfort. And they have one goal. They have to eliminate Jesus. They've got to manage some way so that Jesus says or does something that offends the Jewish people, and he loses that following. Or they're going to get him to say or do something that will upset the Roman Empire, and, well, they're going to do what Rome does, and they'll they'll just kill him. So that's Tuesday, and then Tuesday night they have the meeting. And then Wednesday, Jesus is up on the Temple Mount again, and he's teaching. And in the context of his teaching, he's stating his absolute authority to teach for God. And it's while that is happening, that's the context now where these various groups are going to come to Jesus and set traps for him. There's three big debates that that, that happen up on Temple Mount. Think of it as three rounds of a fight with five different opponents. Jesus is going to do just fine, Uh, spoiler, but we're just going to look today, we're just going to look at his debate concerning politics. Here's how it rolls out. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees, they, the conspiracy against Jesus, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they come to him and they say, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. That you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way God in accordance, the ways of God in accordance with the truth. So, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Insert it's a trap meme right here. Uh, Jesus knew of their hypocrisy. "Why, Why are you trying to trap me, he asked bring me a denarius and let me look at it so they brought him the coin and he asked whose image is this and whose inscription they say caesar's and then jesus said to them render to caesar's what is caesar's and to god what is god and they were amazed at him let me explain this trap more context help illuminate this truth The tax they're referring to is called a head tax or a poll tax. In 6 AD, Judea is enveloped into the Roman Empire. And once they became a a Roman province, every single head is required to pay an annual tax. The tax is not expensive. It's not a lot of money, but it stings. It has a terrible sting attached to it. Because while it doesn't cost much, it embitters the person paying it because the tax says, I belong to the Roman Empire. And so, and so they're asking Jesus, what, is, what are the people of God, the Jews, what are the people that belong to God Almighty supposed to do with this head tax, this poll tax that says we belong to Rome? And not only is the tax itself a trap, Look who's listening. At least there's at least four of the five groups of people that are right here listening. The the first one, the first group is called the Zealots. The Zealots, when they looked at this tax, they had a violent response to it. As a matter of fact, it goes back to 6 AD when it started 25 years previous. Judas of Galilee was a man. Judas of Galilee starts this revolt. It's, It's a violent revolt, it's armed. And he says, we're not paying this. And Judas of Galilee leads a group of people. And he does three things that are important to our understanding. First, he refuses to pay this poll tax. Two, he goes on Temple Mount and has a temple cleansing. Clears out all the Roman and Gentile people from being in there. And third, he teaches as Messiah the coming of the kingdom of God. He talks about the day of the Lord is upon us and he's going to teach like the kingdom of god and so rome is threatened by that and rome did what rome does and so judas of galilee is hunted down he is captured and executed they have hammers and nails for just this sort of thing now here 25 years later here's jesus cornerstone of his teaching is the kingdom of god and he's the messiah he does a temple cleansing the day before, on Tuesday. And now, on Wednesday, are we going to pay this tax? Are, do we pledge allegiance to Rome here? <laughs> and the Zealots are saying, you'd better say no, or we're leaving. And the Romans are saying, you better say yes, we've got a way to deal with this. Another group of people that are listening are the Essenes. Think uh, Jewish monk. Right? Uh, there's a probability that John the Baptist was one of these. The way they responded to the politics of the time of being under Roman citizenship and having to pay this tax is they said, we're done. We're out of here. We're leaving. And they just lived in these communes completely separate. And they waited for the day of the Lord. That's the day of judgment that's talked about quite often in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament. And they were just going to wait for God to come back and make things right. And the Essenes are saying you would better say no we're not part of this world jesus and romans saying you would better say yes another group the two people that are mentioned here the two groups that are mentioned are the pharisees they have tremendous religious power amongst the people amongst the jews and they paid the tax with gritted teeth and the other group that this mutual hate they had for each other but they're working together to eliminate Jesus in this context the Herodians and the, Her- and the Herodians they paid the tax gladly because they had tremendous political power they had significant political power they were involved with the Romans they would kind of abandoned their Jewish faith kept their Jewish you know culture but they were in it with Rome and so both these groups they said pay it pay it gladly Ultimately today, <laughs> they're saying, Jesus, what party are you in? A or B? Because the other, just whatever you pick. And you're losing either way. And so, Jesus, what's the answer? Well, I don't bring me a coin. He says, What image is on it? What inscription is on it? And they say, Caesar. And he says, Well, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? And render to God what is God's. He talks about a denarius. He holds this denarius up and he holds it up and he's, look at it, like, whose image is that? And then, and the inscription is this Tiberius Caesar, son of the god Augustus, Pontifex, I don't know how to say that word, pont, Pontifex, Maximus, thanks, and high priest. He's, say, he's the king, he's the son of God. And he's the high priest. That's who Tiberius says he is. The king, the son of God, high priest. And so Jesus holds it up and says, who's this? Give it back to him. It belongs to him anyway. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, "What, what belongs to God, render unto God what is God's. What's your image? What is the image on you? We're made in the image of Jehovah." we belong to God, the coins, they belong to him. And they're amazed, as you would imagine, a simple answer with profound consequences, and he slipped through another trap. (laughs) He did it again to us. Some obvious applications for us in the context of politics, they say it twice, either or, yes or no. And Jesus says, look, this is a false dilemma. I mean, we know informal logical fallacies, it's neither, it's both. He answers with neither or both. And the reason is, is because Christianity, the teachings of Jesus, this, te- this teaching summarizes that, cannot be constrained, cannot, like, cannot be confined to some kind of political bucket. It can't fit. It's, it's too profound. It's It's multi-dimensional. It's not gonna. It's not even from this world. His teachings, Christianity, followers of Christ, and if you look even like within my lifetime, how you can't say Christianity is liberal or conservative. If you go back to the civil rights issues and segregation, I know the academics in New England would love to take responsibility for ending segregation because they're liberals. And that's what liberal looks like. But what ended segregation? A southern, black, Protestant movement. It was the church that did it. It was a southern, black, Protestant with all the dressings of liberal. Because it was the right thing to do. You cross the ocean and you can see that Poland beats the USSR. And how did they do that? what the world would call conservative it was a conservative traditional catholic movement it was called solidarity and it was because of the conservative traditional catholics unified together they broke (laughs) the soviet union's atheism and communism that had a death grip on them so the point is (laughs) it it can't be controlled and it it can't be labeled and so, Jesus' answer here is actually, the answer itself is the foundation for what we call limited government, the theory of limited government. Jesus is saying here, give Caesar what he, what, what he owns. He, he, he owns the money, give him the money, but don't give complete allegiance to the government. If you look carefully, you can see that Jesus is changing the verb do we pay this tax? And I think literally in Greek, it do we give this tax to him? And Jesus says, render. Giving is a gift to somebody that doesn't own it, and now they do. Render means give back something that belongs to them. And so, he, Jesus is just saying, hey, look, look at the coin. It's his. Just give back to him what belongs to him, and he doesn't leave it there. He says, and give... To God, render to God what belongs to Him. Whose image is on your soul? Yahweh, Jehovah. will then give Him that. This simple, this profound answer says, right, you have a duty to the government that oversees your country. But you have a higher duty to God Himself. Your soul, your children, they belong to God. The other stuff, just give it back. Here's an interesting observation. (laughs) It it can be found in knowing that Mark, the writer of this gospel, loves irony. And i got to tell you, I don't know if you saw it, I didn't see it. Columbo would see it, Monk would get it, Tim Keller saw it. So I'll quote Tim Keller on this. Watch, watch this. Jesus says, bring me a denarius. Bring me a denarius. And then he says, whose image is on it? Whose inscription is on it? And what does the inscription say? Okay. The point is, there's two claimants here. And they're both saying, king, son of God, high priest. They both say, king, I'm the king. I'm a son of God. I'm the high priest. Tiberius says that. It's on the coin. His image is on it. And the coin literally is his. All of the coins in the Roman Empire at this time are, are minted by the, from the silver that he owns. So this is Tiberius' silver, minted into a Tiberius coin, and it belongs to him. So just give it back. Now what's funny in contrast to that is Jesus says, bring me a denarius. Bring me a denarius. You get it? He's got to ask for one. He doesn't even have. A denarius is like a quarter. And he doesn't, he doesn't even carry a quarter. And so here's what Tim Keller calls Jesus. He's the king without a quarter. And so the two claimants are in contrast. Right? we got Tiberius who owns all the quarters. The king with all the quarters. And Jesus the king without a quarter. That's the contrast. Those are the two claimants. And Jesus is saying, I'm a different kind of king. It's not just degree; He's a different kind of king. Jesus will say, the fox has a hole, the birds of the air have a nest, but the Son son of Man has no place to lay his head. And not only am I a different kind of king, I have a different kind of kingdom. And when Jesus explains and teaches his kingdom... Oh, it's a lot different than the kingdom of Tiberius, where it's about power and notoriety and comfort. <laughs> Jesus says, blessed are you that are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger, you'll be satisfied. He says, blessed are those who weep, you're going to laugh. Blessed are those who hate you and they persecute you on account of me. You're going to jump for joy because you'll be rewarded for eternity. That's the kingdom of Jesus. This kingdom, it is power, it is status, it is comfort. And Jesus says, I'm a different kind of king. I have a different kind of kingdom. I don't care about power and status and comfort. And if you want to become like Christ in all of life, you're going to follow this king in this kingdom. And here's what happens. You take on the values of this kingdom, and you don't care about what the other kingdom cares about. You're set free from the addiction of of this power and status and comfort. You're not driven to have those things any longer. And if you get them, power or comfort or status, then you just use them. You You just use them for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. And then if you happen to lose those things, they're not going to ruin your life and decimate your soul because they weren't yours. When you live in this kingdom, you are free. You are free from the addiction of these other kingdom values. And so this, this beautiful contrast between... The king that has all the quarters and the king that doesn't have a quarter. And he's saying choose. He's also saying give this king what belongs to him and give this king what belongs to him. Your very soul. The application, personal application is pretty obvious, isn't it? Whose image is on your soul? Say it out loud. It's Jehovah. Whose image is on your soul? Then render to Jehovah what belongs to Jehovah you belong to him. You're just giving it back. (laughs) Just render what's already his. And the the point is all of you, that you give all of yourself to him. You become like Christ in all of life. And that's the ambition for every believer in Christ, not just some parts of life, not just aspects of our life so that we can feel a, a sense of the illusion of control a feeling of safety, just enough to kind of have the wife and kids turn out, you know, like three dollars worth of God. Three dollars worth of God. It's a beautiful poem by Wilbur Reese. It, it's here's what he here's the poem. I'd like to I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. I mean, not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk, you know, where a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God for me to love a black man or pick beats with a migrant i I just i want ecstasy (laughs) not transformation i want the warmth of the womb not a new birth i want a pound of eternal in a paper sack i'd like just just three dollars worth of god please jesus is not going to allow that to happen what's the image on the coin give it back to him What's the image on your soul? Give it all to him. It belongs to him. You're just giving it back. After three rounds against five opponents, there's not a mark on Jesus. And if you can just picture the post-fight interview, if Jesus could just leave the stadium quietly, he might have made it. But then he says these things and it seals his fate. Verse 38 says, and as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers here of the law. They like to walk around, they're flowing robes and they love being greeted with respect in the marketplace. They have some of the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. They devour widows' houses. They are bullies. They are evil. And for, and, and, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. This is a perfect example of the two kingdoms and the two tenets of those kingdoms. And Jesus was, he bullied these, these five oppo, uh, opposition sects and then... He says these things about those five groups of people in leadership that have all this power and status and comfort. He says, you will be judged the most severely. And at that, he just walks right into this trap. At that, they can't leave him alone anymore. And they'll lie and cheat and make sure that he is framed for things that he doesn't say or do so that the Romans will do what Romans will do. They have hammers and nails for just such things. Because he says, you're going to be punished most severely. You steal widows' houses. And then speaking of widows, look what happens. And then Jesus sits down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he's watching the crowd putting their money into the the temple treasuries. And many rich people were throwing in large amounts. And then this poor widow came and put in two very small copper, not silver, copper coins. They were worth, worth only a, like a fraction of a penny. And then Jesus calls his disciples over, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That means, now you listen to me. This poor widow put more into the treasury than all the others. Because see, here's the thing. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. This story concludes this segment, and Jesus says, this, this impresses this king without a quarter. This, this impoverished widow, a widow without even a penny, is what draws Jesus' attention to this. He says, He tells his twelve, come here, come here, come here, come here. Truly, I say to you, like, like, listen to me. (laughs) It's an upside-down kingdom. And I'm the upside-down king. I'm the king without a quarter. And I say to you, verily, verily, truly, truly, you listen to me. That widow, without so much as a penny, she will be rewarded in heaven and made rich. She gave nothing. Not even a penny. She gave everything. She's part of his kingdom. And that's what he wants all those 12 and all of us to read about. That's what it looks like to be part of that kingdom, to be a tenant to that king. (laughs) You run up to her and say, hey, penniless widow. Whose image is on your soul? Yahweh. Well, then you render to Yahweh what belongs to Yahweh. She says, well, yeah, you don't have to do that tone. Sure, of course. I render to Yahweh what belongs to Yahweh. All of me. It all belongs to him. Okay. And so she does. The next encounters with Jesus, if you continue reading the, the book of Mark, they happen very fast. It's the nature of his writing. Jesus goes from the Temple Mount to Bethany, where Simon the leper is having a party at his house. It's hosted by Lazarus, Simon the leper having a party. He's Simon the former leper. <laughs> right. Simon, Simon the leper. They can't even get rid of his nickname. I'm Simon the former leper, please. It says on my name tag, former leper. Uh, and then the, the host is is Lazarus, and his sisters Mary and Martha. And just to just to understand the insanity, the grip of the addiction of these men in leadership that are puppets to the kingdom of Satan, that live and die, and will kill for power and status and comfort. A crowd gathers around the house of Simon, the former leper, and look what happens. The Jewish leadership says, we can't just get rid of Jesus. We have to eliminate Lazarus as well. This is right out of the uh, biography of John. And so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews we're going over to Jesus and believing in him. So now they're putting up like a knock list. They're putting up a hit list. And they put Lazarus on it. I would love to see these religious leaders confront Lazarus and threaten him with death. It's like I've, I've already done that. It wasn't as bad as, as you might make it out to be. First time. You can't threaten to kill a man who's already died. In the midst of this party, Mary suddenly, out, suddenly, suddenly, she runs and gets an entire pint of what is described as extremely expensive perfume, a year's wages. And she pours it all over the feet of Jesus as he's reclining at this table, which is the way they would dine. And she pours it all over his feet and then starts spreading it around and wiping it on his feet with her hair. The entire house is filled with this beautiful aroma. And then one of the disciples says, oh, that that perfume's worth a lot of money. We could have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus says, Judas, you and your values leave her alone because here's what's happening Jesus knows and Mary knows and it's it's hard to say if anyone else does the purpose of her pouring that perfume on his feet he's a she's anointing him for burial he says it was it was intended to be saved for my burial anointing the Jews would anoint the dead after, after they passed away. They would anoint them with perfume before they would bury them. But not if you're a criminal. Not if you died a criminal death. And so the Spirit must have spoke to Mary and said, we've got to do this while we still can. So here's Jesus now <laughs> saying, here I am, a king without a quarter, and here you are, Mary. My daughter, without any more perfume. We'll be talking about this for a long time. This is what it's like to be in his kingdom. He says this, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news, the gospel, is preached throughout all the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. Yep. And from that point on, his next set of encounters are going to be with Romans who do what Romans do. And Jesus dies. And the reason is because, even though he avoided these other three traps, he walked into a fourth. Who trapped whom? Who was doing the trapping? Think about it. Satan and his kingdom using his little puppets that live and die and now will kill for their power and their status and their comfort, were led into a trap. (laughs) They were the ones who were trapped by Jesus, King Jesus, who lives and dies for the will of the Father. And it says that Jesus did not consider power and status and comfort as something to be grasped but relinquish that for the love of the father and why would he do that because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten born from above son that whoever believes in him would not perish God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world He sent his son into the world to release them and to set them free from the kingdom of slavery and stupidity. (laughs) Listen. Jesus, the king without a single quarter, is the only one with the righteous wealth to pay the ransom to the holiness of God the Father so that our payment, our debt payment, Our shame payment, our powerlessness could be paid and paid in full. The king without a quarter, all he has to offer is his personal righteousness. And with that, those who believe in him, they're set free. They're set free to become servants of this great king. Whose image is on your soul? Say it out loud. Whose image is on your soul? Jehovah. Render unto Jehovah what belongs to Jehovah. It's bought and paid for. Render all of you to Jehovah. He owns you. He bought you. That's the lesson of this encounter with Jesus. Let's live for that end, right? Right? Let's pray. Lord, in this story of Jesus having an encounter with politics, we're reminded again how petty and shallow we find ourselves, drifting into debates about politics. And Jesus says, I never met her. We get lost in the concerns of this world and this kingdom, and we take our eye off of your king and your kingdom. And for that we repent, we're consumed with the temporal and the flashy, and we miss the eternal and the dense profundity of who you are and what you're like. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us be completely surrendered to you as you have given us your image and you have bought us out of the slavery of the kingdom That belongs to this world. We celebrate the freedom that we have, that we're now no longer addicted to the power of power and the the corruption of popularity and the lust for comfort. That we can live for you and you alone, Lord. Help us become like Christ in all of life and become like Christ as a follower of the King we'd be like Mary, we'd become like this very wealthy, eternally rewarded widow. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.